Well, good afternoon. My name is Brian Parks, and I'm one of the elders that serve here at Covenant Hope Church, and I'm excited to bring to you God's Word today. Imagine for just a moment that you are the Apostle Paul. You've traveled throughout the regions north of the Mediterranean Sea, sharing the gospel in synagogues and in public places and from house to house even. And you've done this over the course of actually many years. And the Lord has blessed the preaching of the gospel. People have come to Christ, Jews and Gentiles. They've put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Churches have formed. And in many of the key cities where those churches were formed, you stayed for many months, even years, discipling, teaching, loving, and partnering with those new Christians. You've seen them grow and flourish. You've had opportunity to protect those Christians and those churches from false teaching that has begun to creep in. You feel protective. Now you know that the Lord is calling you back to Jerusalem and the Spirit has made it clear to you that you're likely going to encounter affliction even imprisonment. You know that you won't see these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord ever again. How will you spend your last weeks and months with them? What will you focus your time and energy on to give them your best? What will you teach them? What words will you leave them with? What's most important? Those questions must have constantly been in the mind of Paul and on his heart in the passage that we're considering today. Acts 20 describes the beginning of Paul's return to Jerusalem at the end of his third and final missionary journey. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts 20 if you're not already there. And of course, it is printed in your bulletin as well if you'd like to follow along there. But you'll be helped if you follow along because I'm going to point out different phrases and verses in this passage as I go along. Paul's first missionary journey was in partnership with a man named Barnabas, son of encouragement is what his name meant. And that journey started way back in chapter 13 of Acts. Then on his second missionary journey, Paul took a man named Silas as his ministry partner, and that began at the end of chapter 15, and the two of them, when they got into the area of Galatia, which is current-day Turkey, they asked a young man named Timothy to join them as well, so they turned into a group of three. Then at the end of chapters 18, of chapter 18, and through 19, it describes the beginning of Paul's third and final missionary journey. Turn with me for just a minute in your bulletin to page 12. There's a map there, and as I've been doing in past weeks, I want to just show you where Paul travels in this third missionary journey, at least the part of it that we're going to cover today. At the end of chapter 18, Paul was in Antioch of Syria, which is on the far right side of the map there, Antioch. 
And that solid arrow that leads to Tarsus is where Paul's third missionary journey headed out first. He went to Tarsus and then he passed through that cluster of cities in Galatia and he ended up in Ephesus. And chapter 19 was where Paul spent most of his ministry in that city of Ephesus. We learned about Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife ministry team there, and how they discipled a young minister named Apollos, whom they later sent across the water to Corinth. But in chapter 19, Paul was in Ephesus. Now, Paul spent about three years in Ephesus. We actually learned that from our chapter, chapter 20. Now, in chapter 20, Paul is going to travel following that solid arrow up to Assos, Troas, and then through Macedonia, that cluster of cities right under the big name Greece. Actually, during their time, Greece was the lower part of that peninsula where Athens and Corinth are, and Paul makes it down there, actually just in the first few verses of our chapter. And then he wants to turn finally homeward toward Jerusalem and Syria. And so you'll follow the dotted arrow line, then back up through Macedonia, across to the coast of what is labeled here Asia, down the coast then, kind of hopping down the coast, partially on foot, partially on a ship, all the way down to where you see Miletus, which is just south of Ephesus. Now that's the part of the journey that we're covering today, from Ephesus, solid line, up through Macedonia, down to Greece, and then back to Miletus, by ship and by land as well. And even though Paul did travel further west before he turned around, we know that Paul is heading home to Jerusalem because of what Luke tells us in chapter 19. If you're in your Bible and you can just easily flip back there, you can look at that, 19, 21, and 22. Paul is still in Ephesus and it says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul's already made up his mind. He's going back to Jerusalem. Most of the other passages in Paul's journeys have given us lots of details about Paul's evangelistic efforts and very briefly described his discipleship and teaching in the church. We don't get much detail in the past. But now... On the beginning of what is Paul's farewell tour, Luke gives us lots of details about Paul's discipleship and teaching in the church. And there's really no evangelism described here in this chapter. Paul knows that he's not going to see these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord ever again. Many of them he would have personally led to Christ and partnered together with them in fruitful gospel ministry throughout those years during his three missionary journeys, he loved them deeply. And yet he tells the Ephesian elders, none of you will see my face again. I want you to keep that in mind as we see Paul model a faithful gospel ministry of personal discipleship, of teaching God's word, and equipping 
faithful leaders so that the churches will be protected and strengthened even after he's gone. You could sum it up like this. Faithful gospel ministry protects and builds up the church. Faithful gospel ministry protects and builds up the church. If you're taking notes this afternoon, I have three points. Faithful ministry demonstrated. Faithful ministry defended. And faithful ministry delegated. Demonstrated, defended, and delegated. Well, first of all, in verses 1 through 16, we see Paul's faithful ministry demonstrated. Chapter 20 begins with Paul saying farewell to the Ephesian church after three years of ministry among them, and then he sets off to Macedonia and then to Greece to spend some final weeks, perhaps months there, encouraging and saying goodbye to the churches there. Now, he would have spent time in, and you saw these cities clustered on the map, Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. Corinth was likely where he intended to depart by ship to return to Syria and then Jerusalem, but verse 3 tells us that a plot was being cooked up by the Jews of Corinth to kill Paul. Now, that's nothing new to Paul. Probably what they wanted to do was get some of the Jews who were traveling back on ships toward Jerusalem to be the murderers, the ones who would corner him on the ship and kill him. And so Paul and his traveling companions, they decided to reverse their route then, instead of getting on the ship to go directly back to Jerusalem, to go by land back up through Macedonia first. Now, I want you to pay special attention to that list of traveling companions that Luke records for us in verse 4. Look there with me for just a moment. So Pater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, who by the way was from Lystra, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, likely from Ephesus. Luke was with them as well, of course. He was from Philippi, and that means that Paul's traveling company, his group, was at least nine men or more, maybe. Paul had brought along different men from many of the different churches to train them and model for them what faithful gospel ministry was. And one thing that's going on as well in the background of all these travels, we can learn from the different letters that Paul wrote to the churches, and that is that all along the way, Paul was taking up a collection that he was going to deliver back to the Jerusalem church because they were suffering. And so many of these men that were coming along with Paul were also men who were meant to be accountability partners as they carry those large sums of money. But mark my words, Paul wanted to invest in these men. What's evident from this list is that wherever Paul led people to Christ, he would soon after involve them in the work of the ministry. Young Christians need to be poured into by more mature Christians and involved in ministry right away. 
There's no magic age that you have to wait for when you'll be ready finally to share the gospel or maybe disciple others or maybe get interested and involved in missions. If you're growing in your faith, if you're young in the Lord, don't wait. Don't wait. Grow now. Involve yourself in ministry, gospel ministry. That's the way to grow. Imitate what you see in the lives of mature Christians around you in the way of ministry. All of these young churches that Paul had planted saw themselves as active participants in the ministry that Paul had introduced them to. They didn't sit on the sidelines and just cheer him on. They joined in. Ours is a young church, but that shouldn't discourage us. We have God's Word. We have each other. And if we meet together to read the Word, to pray together, to hold each other accountable, if we team up together to share the gospel with our non-Christian friends and those who come through the back door who don't know Christ, or we serve those in need around us, we will grow in the Lord together. That is the effectiveness of gospel ministry founded on God's Word together. Now, by the time we get to verse 7 in our chapter, Paul and his group have made their way to the city of Troas, which was on the northwestern coast of what is today Turkey. And there Luke describes a church gathering that comes together on Sunday, the first day of the week. The church was going to take the Lord's Supper together. It says, and Paul, Luke, excuse me, uses the term break bread to describe it. Now, look there beginning at the second half of verse 7 with me. Look at that verse. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. This account of Paul preaching until midnight and then all the way to daybreak is, uh, it's of particular interest to us preachers. I just want to point out to you that uh, you may have thought my sermons have gone on a little long at times, but I have never preached from sundown to sunup, okay? (laughs) Consider yourselves lucky. Now, this young man named Eutychus falls asleep in the third-story window falls to the ground, dies, but then is miraculously resurrected by Paul, only for Paul to continue preaching all night long. I mean, that is truly funny. This is a funny story. By the way, I have a book on preaching titled Saving Eutychus, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. And if you're wondering, I have not read it yet. But to keep some of you awake, I think that Not only do I need to read that book and take it to heart, but I may need Paul's powers of healing as well. (laughs) Now, we can all laugh at this story, but don't miss what's probably the most important point. 
Paul's faithful ministry was demonstrated by his faithful and tireless teaching. Jesus' ministry was centered on teaching. Paul's ministry was centered on teaching. And our church will be protected and built up in the Lord by good gospel teaching. Paul knew that he wouldn't see them again and he used every last minute to teach them all that he could from God's word. Over the past year, we've not had many opportunities to gather and be taught. I hope that can change now that, of course, the pandemic is waning. More people are able to be vaccinated. The importance of teaching is one reason why we place such a high priority on regularly gathering as a church for corporate worship. I wanna encourage you, work hard to pay attention. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know what it's like to come to church and sit there and have not gotten a good night's sleep the night before, and you struggle. I've struggled before, but I wanna encourage you to fight through it because what is being proclaimed, whether it's terribly interesting or not as much so, is of great importance. It's of great importance. Read the sermon passage in advance Formulate some questions and discuss them together. Bring along a pen and paper, perhaps, to take notes. That'll help you stay awake if you're struggling. Decide one thing that you want to do or think or maybe something that you need to stop doing or thinking as a result of what you hear in the sermon. Decide that you're going to take action as a result of what you hear. Did you notice how This resurrection miracle that's nested in the midst of the story here was far less important to Paul than the teaching of God's word. They didn't really really go into, uh, you know, ecstatic praises and, and praying for more miracles right there on the spot. They went back to teaching. Now, verses 13 through 16 describe Paul and his companions journey by ship and land south down the coast of Asia to a city called Miletus. And there he called the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him, and he addressed them in a farewell message. He knew, of course, again, that he wouldn't see them ever again. The first part of his message to them is a defense of his ministry. Faithful ministry defended. We saw it demonstrated in verses 1 through 16. Now we see it defended in his words. We can see that in verses 17 through 27. This is the only message of Paul recorded in the book of Acts, which is only given to Christians. And specifically, it's addressed to a group of elders. It's not to the whole church. All of his other messages that Luke has recorded for us in the book of Acts either are in synagogues or they're in public places. Now, on the one hand, the things that we learn from this message apply specifically to men who are elders. And so, Mark and Michael, Frank, Nissen, and Shannel, those are the names of our six elders here. I want you to listen especially. But the church chooses or recognizes the elders in a church. 
And so all of us need to recognize the characteristics of faithful gospel ministry as it should be carried out by the elders. So it's important for you to know and recognize it. And lastly, Paul repeatedly encouraged the churches to imitate him. So elders are held responsible for carrying out their role in the church, but the members of a church should be patterning their lives after the elders. So in that way, I want each of you as well to consider how the things that Paul teaches here apply to you specifically. I'm going to share four characteristics that Paul points to in the defense of his ministry. First of all, faithful ministry is transparent or personal. Paul begins by saying, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Near the end of his address, in verse 34, he points out to them, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He reminds them, um, among other places, he taught them from house to house. And in verse 19, Paul says he served the Lord with all humility and tears. Paul wasn't distant and unapproachable with the people that he ministered to. He lived among them. They could see how he lived his life, how he worked, how he ordered his days, and how he interacted with the, the greatest as well as the least among them. Elders should be known by the people that they lead and serve. Hospitality, of course, plays an important role in being known as an elders. Elders should be hospitable, and Timothy lists that in his list of qualifications for elders. Elders should be initiating significant conversations with their congregation, whether in person or over the phone. All of these conversations are important to be known by the congregation and to know the congregation. The congregation should imitate this as well. Brothers and sisters, get to know one another. Let your lives be open to each other. We can't effectively watch over one another's lives if we isolate ourselves. Faithful ministry is transparent or personal. But faithful ministry is also sacrificial. We see that in this message. Paul put himself in some danger everywhere he went to spread the gospel. In verse 19, he mentions the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Of course, we read about that at the very beginning of chapter 20. In verse 23, he says that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. In verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value or, or as precious to myself. And Paul says in verse 31, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The faithful gospel minister has a greater purpose that they are living for than to satisfy their own desires for comfort, their own selfish wants or their dreams. To grow in maturity in Christ is to grow into being an other-focused person. An elder or a mature Christian is constantly thinking of how they can make choices that cost themselves something and enable them to help others. Elders, 
you will probably not be able to pursue as many hobbies as other people do. Brothers and sisters, sacrificing your time or your talents or your treasure or your money will serve others, and that is the way of Jesus. And it's the heartbeat of faithful gospel ministry. Faithful ministry is sacrificial. But faithful ministry is also courageous, Paul drives home. It's courageous. There's much in this address, of course, that illustrates Paul's courage. (laughs) We saw Paul's courage almost constantly. But I want to point out two specific phrases. There in verse 20, Paul says, you know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And in 27, he says that phrase again, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, when Paul says that he didn't shrink, he means that he didn't hesitate. He didn't draw back from teaching things that might not be popular or might not entertain people and attract a crowd. The faithful elder or anyone involved in faithful ministry must be courageous enough to tell people things they might not want to hear. That's part of my role as an elder and your pastor. We have to fear God more than we fear the opinions of the people around us. I want you to know that hell is real. I want you to know that your sin is a horrible offense to God. I want you to know that God's wrath is coming to you and to anyone who doesn't repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Faithful ministry involves being willing to lovingly point out idols in each other's lives as well. Now, I've done that before. And it's not always comfortable. And sometimes people don't like that. Are you willing to risk a negative reaction in someone by sharing your concern about a sin that a friend seems stuck in but unwilling to see or unwilling to change? Are you willing? Are you courageous? When he says, when Paul says he's innocent of the blood of all in verse 26, he's referencing a passage back in the book of Ezekiel 30, chapter 33, where God tells Ezekiel that he, the prophet, is like a watchman for a protected city. And if danger is coming and he fails to warn the people, their blood is on his head. But if he faithfully warns the people of the danger, then the watchman is innocent of the blood of the people. A watchman who warns the people will not always be welcomed. People will scoff. People will disbelieve. People will ignore. You must be courageous to tell one another things that you don't want to hear. That's hard to hear but is necessary for growth in Christ. Faithful ministry is courageous, but faithful ministry finally is word and gospel-centered. 
It's word and gospel-centered. Paul points to his teaching in verse 20. He says he taught from the Scriptures, God's Word. He testifies to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 21. In 25, he says he proclaimed the kingdom. He declared to them the whole counsel of God. And I believe that what he means by the whole counsel of God isn't that he preached from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It means that he proclaimed the whole plan of God. God's work in the past, God's work in Christ, and God's work in the future. Toward the end of his address in verse 32, he says, I commend to you, you to God, and to the word of his grace. Paul's faithful ministry was centered on the word of God and even more specifically, the conviction that the central message of the Bible was a message of good news. That though all people had sinned against God and would be punished in hell for eternity, God in his mercy has sent Jesus Christ into the world to live sinlessly, yet to be punished as a sinner so that anyone could be saved by believing in him. That is the gospel. That's the central message of all the scriptures. And anyone who tells you that they're preaching the Bible, but they don't center their messages on or tie their messages to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not preaching to you the whole counsel of God. Christian, is the gospel what your life is founded on? Is the gospel what you're returning to day after day, week after week, to meditate on it, to go deeper into it? You will not plumb the depths of the gospel by the end of your life. And for you who haven't given your life to Christ, when? When will you? Will you face the wrath of God having heard the message that can lead to your salvation only to put it off for just one more day or until you think you really need Him? Oh, friend, you need Him now. You do not know what tomorrow holds. And if you pass up a moment when you feel the conviction of your sin produced by the work of the Holy Spirit on your heart, you may miss the time. Don't wait. An elder's ministry is centered on the gospel. An elder's ministry focuses on teaching from the Bible. In verse 28, in his address to the Ephesian elders, Paul shifts from defending his ministry to delegating his ministry to the elders. He wants to pass it on. He wants to hand it off. We see that in verses 28 through 38. Now, I'll admit, he does turn back at certain points and point back to his own example. Paul can't help but doing that. But we're going to cover it all under the banner of ministry delegated. He's charging the elders to take action and to be characterized by certain things that were also true in his life. And I'm going to point out again four. First of all, faithful ministers pay careful attention. Verse 28, pay careful attention, he says. Where? To yourselves and to all the flock. In verse 31, Paul commands them, be alert. 
It's like he's saying, wake up spiritually. Don't take your eye off the church. First of all, they must pay attention to themselves and their own walk with Christ. An elder must be a growing Christian. If a man thinks that he's kind of topped out, he's plateaued, he's reached a point where he can't grow anymore in Christ, then he's not qualified to be an elder. An elder must be a man who personally loves God's word and is watchful over his own life so that sin doesn't get a foothold. And brothers and sisters, we elders are prone to sin just like you. Please pray for us. We need it. But we're also charged with watching over the flock. With reference to the whole church, elders must watch out for what Paul calls fierce wolves. He says in verse 29 and 30, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. False teaching ruins a church, and it ruins disciples as well. It did in Paul's day. And it does today as well. But just as elders should be watchful, so the congregation should imitate them as well. On Monday night at our members meeting, we'll recite the church covenant that we've made with one another. And one of the articles in that covenant, that list of promises that we're making to one another as members of the church, says we will walk together in brotherly love, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully warning, rebuking, and admonishing one another when necessary. The elders should be the chief watchers, but all of us are charged with watching out to make sure that one of us isn't straying far from Christ. And we need to watch as well to make sure that the church isn't being infiltrated by false teaching. Are you alert? Are you paying attention? Who are you watching over? Faithful ministers pay careful attention. Secondly, he charges them that faithful ministers are responsible to God. Paul tells the Ephesian elders in verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Michael, Mark, Frank, Shannon, Nissen, We must remember that Covenant Hope Church isn't ours. It's the church of God. Each one of you who have trusted in Christ were purchased with the blood of Jesus. You were bought with a price. You don't belong to us. You don't even belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus and to your heavenly Father and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. What a treasure each one of you is to God. And so we are responsible to God for carrying out faithful gospel ministry among you as elders. You are a stewardship to us. Like children who aren't owned by their parents, children of course are being stewarded by their parents until they become adults. So the church is a stewardship, a responsibility to care for something that is God's. Hebrews 13, 17 is often on my mind, brothers and sisters. It says that I will stand before God and give an account for watching over you. 
I'm going to have to answer. Faithful ministers are responsible to God. And faithful ministers are hardworking, not greedy. A faithful minister's reward is the inheritance that he is going to receive from Christ. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give to you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, it's interesting that in the next verse, Paul refers to his example in ministry and claims that he didn't covet anyone's silver, gold, or apparel. And if you're just reading through this for the first time, you might think, why in the world did Paul suddenly shift gears and talk about the fact that he wasn't greedy? Right after he's made that amazing pronouncement in verse 32 about commending them to God and to the word of his grace. But do you notice that he talks about the inheritance that comes from the gospel of grace in that verse? That's why he talked about earthly possessions compared to heavenly possessions. Paul gave them an example of working hard when he made tents to support himself as he ministered among them. And in verse 35, he shares a quote from Jesus himself, one that's not recorded anywhere else. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Brothers and sisters, giving is better than getting. That's the lesson. And that should be the mindset of elders. Men, if you aspire to be an elder, don't think about the honor that you might receive. Think about the hard work that you're going to put in. But don't shy shy away because of that. Giving is truly better than getting. Church, focus on the inheritance that you have in the gospel, not on gathering earthly possessions. Work hard. Work hard at your job. Take raises. Take promotions if you can. But not out of selfish ambition. Out of selfless love for others so that you can be a generous giver. So that you can be a model of generosity. Faithful ministers are hardworking, not greedy. And lastly, faithful ministers affectionately love people. They affectionately love people. Paul has already mentioned his tears in verses 19 and 31, but look at those last verses in 36 through 38 with me. Look there for just a moment. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. There was genuine affection and deep love between Paul and these men. Throughout his letters to the churches, Paul frequently mentions his affection and his deep love for the people in those churches, whether it's the Thessalonians or the Philippians, the Corinthians. Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. We love you dearly. We, the elders of this church. We're genuinely fond of you. (laughs) If we have free time, we want to spend it with you as well as our families. 
When we travel to see family and other distant friends in faraway places, you're still on our minds. Affectionate love should characterize elders. And eventually, as the church imitates elders who imitate Paul, who imitate Jesus, begin to affectionately love one another as well. I pray that the Lord is growing in you a heart of affectionate love for one another. I see it, and I pray that it continues to grow. Brothers and sisters, the church was planted in the power of the Spirit through men called directly by Jesus, men like Paul, 2,000 years ago. These fragile little groups of brand new Christians who had left behind their idol worship or their legalistic adherence to Old Testament practices thinking that they could be justified by it. And they clung together in these secular, wicked, sin-filled cities. How did the church survive? How did the church last for 2,000 years and grow to where it's spread throughout the entire world? It did because of this model of faithful gospel ministry. Gospel ministry that Paul demonstrated, faithful gospel ministry that Paul defended and faithful gospel ministry that Paul delegated to those Ephesian elders, to every other elder of that time, and effectively then to every Christian in every church of that time, and how it's been passed down from year to year, from decade to decade, to century to century, to us. This is the way that Covenant Hope Church will be protected and built up. And this is the way every church will be protected and built up until the Lord Jesus comes. May it be soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You've given us Jesus. We praise You that You've given us the gospel. We praise You that You've filled us with the Spirit. We praise You, Lord, that You've sustained us, and we pray that You would continue to do so all the more until You come back. In Christ's name, amen.